founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Matt Worsta, founder and CEO of Worsta. Matt started his career a little early, at the age of 10, working at his family's restaurant. He later went to Penn State, worked as a financial consultant at PNC, director at Dido, and eventually landed at Google. Through his time at Google, Matt found his niche and took the risk to go out on his own, pursuing a lifelong passion to build his own business. He founded Worsta in 2014, a cloud productivity company to help shape the way customers use technology to grow their business. Worsta made the top 250 on the Inc. 5000 in 2020 and has expanded its offices into Austin and Atlanta with no sign of slowing down. We are pumped to have Matt Worsta on the show today. Please welcome him. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. We're super excited. This is, uh, this is excellent. Yeah, buddy. All right. So we, we talked a little bit pre-show um, about your story, and I'm excited. Uh, we're going to back up a little bit uh, to get a context of where you came from. Uh, it sounds like we'll start back in the college days. Is that right? Yeah, it's so interesting, Drew, because I, I often um, I often think about the long term. If you asked me in college whether I was going to be selling email and productivity platforms to people as a career, it would have been laughable, like you would have <laughs> imagined, right? Um, but I, I, I wasn't a particularly good college student, so I, I found lots of time to do lots of fun things and not nearly as much time to spend in class uh, and specifically in the classes that I didn't like. Yes. Um, and so it, it made for an interesting start because it, in a way, if you remember in the early 2000s, there was lots of emphasis on having a bachelor's degree and, and like talk about pre-screenings and GPAs and all the things. And that just, that just wasn't going to happen. Um, it became more and more clear. So I, I ended up at PNC in the, a very regimented role, right? Answering phones, and the as you might imagine, that just didn't didn't fit super well for me. Sure, um, we we made the most of it, right? We we lobbied and ended up on a travel team, and it helped expand my world perspective a little bit. Uh, I know a number of folks that are in college uh, might think that that is the end all, but it isn't. And the ability to travel at PNC really helped me kind of blow out that that knowledge, but it wasn't nearly sustaining right i couldn't actually do that work uh, and 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 you know do what i wanted to do in life so i actually left there i i had a bit of a rock bottom so to speak I, I basically ran out of money i got thrown out of my apartment and i went home and i was yeah. in a sort of landscaping company i bought a bunch of equipment i'm like cutting grass isn't hard i can figure out how to hire 50 people i can make a landscaping company and uh, uh, an old roommate of mine called and said, hey, why don't you come do this Google thing with me at, at the company called Dido? And so... What the, year was this? Guys, uh, maybe 10, 11. Okay. Um, a while, quite, a, quite a while ago. And the guys at Dido were, were awesome. They said, you know, we'll give you whatever opportunity you want. And from my perspective, that was like, okay, well, I want to do everything. Why don't you make me the senior leader of everything. And they're like, yeah, okay, slow your roll. <laughs> <laughs> Make but me over, the czar. <laughs> yeah, right. But over time, I, I 
you know, I worked hard and I learned all of the things that they did. And I went from different department, you know, department, department, looked at different projects and the operations and all the things, um, which ultimately culminated in a transition to Google, but gave me a ton of foundational experience and how customers work and how businesses work. And like, uh, you know, I, I can't, uh, can't thank them enough for, for giving me some of that foundational opportunity when other people just said, well, you don't have a bachelor's degree. Like, sorry, I can't, can't do that. Yeah. Um, Google was interesting because it put into perspective one of the best run organizations in the world, but, you know, despite their best efforts, a large company, right? And sure, so there's sure. meetings and competitions and interworkings on teams that ultimately are, are I, I think there's by common theme, just something I'm not good at. I mean, very to the point, let's talk about it. Okay, I think this is the right answer. And if you don't agree with me, you better be able to convince me why not. But when you're not at the management level, it doesn't, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> it doesn't fly. <laughs> um, and simultaneously, I, I was taking what I learned at Dido and I was seeing it from the other side at Google and I was understanding that there's this customer, there's this problem. And it was most exemplified, frankly, by my dad's restaurant. So my dad's restaurant originally thought that the internet was a fad and it was going to go away. It's like, uh, I don't know about that, right? And you know, one fateful decision later, they they have subsequently been behind in many areas of technology, and this is this is actually a widespread problem even even today, right? Talking about collaboration in the workplace, we find businesses every day that like print PDFs and walk them down the hall. What are you doing? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and so they're sending carrier pigeons down down the hall, <laughs> right? And and so we we started worse on this premise that. Um, that's the gap. It's, it's people actually do need coaching and, and technical support on how to leverage and use the new tools that the world has provided, right? That Google and other companies, Salesforce, et cetera, have brought in and, and uh, it wasn't successful out of the gate. So two years in, we basically went bankrupt. Um, we had a friend save us. It was a, a big ordeal and the most valuable $10,000 I've ever gotten for nonsense work in my entire life. Uh, and then wow. there was some amount of roll forward that, that happened there. So yeah, now, you know, looking back, it's, it's, it was a great decision, but there are definitely some times along the way where I'm like, man, cutting grass though. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> grass always grows when it rains. That might work better. Yes, bro. Two funny things before I get into my question, uh, and similarities. I barely, uh, I barely graduated college like skin of my teeth. Uh, it took me five years with a marketing degree from Clemson and it, it wasn't hard. I just didn't care. And I was so involved in other things and I was wakeboarding every day. And if it was a nice day, I just wouldn't go to class because I wanted to be out in the water. And man, I mean, I graduated with like a 2.01 or something like by the skin of my teeth, I qualified for, <laughs> for my degree. Uh, so that's funny that we have that similar kind of a thing. And I wondered like, is this indicative of my future? Like, I feel like I'm a talented person, but like you said, traditionally, if you didn't pass this and check this box and get a 4.0 or whatever, you were supposed to be screwed. It has yet to bite me in the ass, thankfully. Uh, but that was a question mark back then, you know, it was like, is this going to work? And then the other is just that your company and your experience at first wasn't up and to the right. And I think that gives so many people, um, 
comfort because you you need to know that you can still succeed even if at first it's really far, damn hard, you know, and that you have moments of almost being out, like almost hitting bankrupt or hitting bankrupt and, and, and still building what you've built today. So I would, I would love just to know a little bit more about that. Like when you got to that two years in, oh, crap, I think we're going to go bankrupt. Not, like what happened? How did you get out of that? And and why even did you decide? That was the other thing I was going to say is I always fantasize about yard work. I, I think I, weirdly enough, I would tell my wife in the early days, I was like, you know what I could always do? I always just start a landscaping company. And in my mind, it was simple. I just liked, I think I was attracted to simple. Like I know I could go out there, get X amount of yards. It, it needed work. And when you're done, you knew you did the job. Like Let's go. The like, grass was less high, and that was that. And, it, yeah. and there's something to be done. Something you said for doing work with your hands. We often spend so much time on screens and computers and stuff today that, like, if you go and build something in your yard or you nail two boards together or whatever, it's like, wow, I, I did. I made a physical thing. Like, there's a, I don't know, an ingrained 100%. human part of that, right? Hundred percent. Because I've always been in like, into, like I'm a coach. I run a coaching business, and even before I was doing a lot of interpersonal development and that kind of stuff. And sometimes you, you can't quantify or know what you did today, you know? Right. And, and I was like, I just want to, like, when I go out and cut my grass, it, I know what I did. <laughs> you know, I can see, I can see the result. Right. Uh, it looks it, good. You mulched. Everything feels better. It, like, feels good to be in the space. And you're like, all right. Let's that go was last weekend. Right. That was last weekend. I spent all freaking weekend mulching and all that kind of stuff. And I was just giddy when I was done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at this. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so take me into, you got the fantasy. Do I pull out? Do I go do something else? A friend comes in. I want to know just a little bit more around that period of time. Um, well, you, you have to understand that part of our business is partnered with Google, right? Very directly. It's like we work side by side with them um, to help expand their, uh, or to bolster, let's call it, their their product set, okay. right? So Google Drive, Google Docs, and, and the real-time collaboration, right? And when I was at Google, I, I mean, we were there on the team, sat in the pod, knew everybody on the partner org. It was awesome. So I made some uh, assumptions that weren't right. And the assumptions went something like, everyone's nice to me today. If I go start a business, they'll probably help me. And the reality of what happened is you went and started a business and, and rightfully so, right? Think about the risk profile. They said things like, let's make sure that your business doesn't collapse first, come back in a year. Mm. Right. And, and <laughs> it's a chicken and the egg. Well, I may collapse if nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And so we spent I, like a solid 18 months. I mean, pounding the ground door to door. I remember driving to little mom and pop businesses and saying like, I know you have email, you need to try to do this. I know that you're you know, collaborating with your employees and you can do it better let me give you the value. And, and they're like, come on, man, we have six employees. We don't care about that or whatever. Yeah. And I, I remember getting our first customer and sitting down and it was like the happiest day ever. And it was a long time and it was a while in, um, how long would you estimate year? At least 11 months. It was like, okay. and, and, but so we were forced, right. Uh, cause Brian, uh, Brian, Brian Virchowski is not on here, but he, he was my co-founder and he left with me. And so we both, or like literally sitting in my parents' basement trying to figure this thing out. And we were forced to do a number of creative things to give ourselves cash flow. So for example, we called other partners, including the, the you know, folks we've worked with in the past, and we said, hey, we'll just do work for hire 
like, you know, we know how to do this thing. Like, let us just, you know, let's find a way, give me, I don't care, 50% of the hourly cost to the customer. I just want to, just need, I just want to do work. Just yeah, let me do yeah. work. Right. Yeah. And we, we floated by for a little while on that. And right around that two year mark, it's probably light, it's just slightly beforehand. We were effectively staring down that, you know, I had taken no salary the first 18 months and I just started to take a little bit. And, and Brian was well, like at 50% of his prior salary. And we're looking at this thing saying like, well, we can't get any customers and our partner work is waning. And this is all like, this is a dumb idea. Why would we have done this? <laughs> and <laughs> I, I sat down actually, um, kind of Dave in, in New York and he runs one of the, uh, they're now a unicorn. He's taken, I think like six rounds of five rounds of funding, something like that. But, uh, at the time they had a really big channel of, of readers, if you will, in, in their blog. And he says, you got to keep going. Why don't you write me a white paper and I'll pay you $10,000 for it. I'm like a white paper about what? Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an expert at anything. I'm currently just failing at a business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, no, 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 you have something. And the thing that you're trying to do is, is good. Like maybe we can help give you some publicity and maybe we can, we can do that. And so we sat down and like, I don't know, literally a week and a half, we wrote a white paper that's 50 pages long about effectively our thesis. You think that collaboration and the, and being proactive about how you want to collaborate inside your organization ultimately optimizes your organization and it makes it better um, than what you're doing today because people didn't have real-time tools, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Anyway, we, we gave him the white paper, he published it, he did actually pay us the $10,000, which was incredible because at the time that was, we were down to like hundreds of dollars in the bank account and it floated us through, but also that little pump of publicity got us the third and the fourth and the fifth and the seventh and the 10th. And all of a sudden wow. we had customers and we we're like, okay, wait, uh, okay. Wow. And since then it's been really interesting because we've had to solve hiring challenges and management challenges and all the things, but it was kind of like this Kickstarter for our ability to really go out and be, um, the word I'm looking for is recognized, I guess. It was like a little shot in the arm and it was just yeah. enough. Yeah. That we had the cash flow to keep going and we had something to point to and say like, and look, we're the experts. Yeah. And that uh, that carry it forward. So that was the that was the whatever the lowest point I would say early wow. on. Wow, what do you think he saw in you or saw in the business that made him say, you know what, don't give up yet. I want you to write this. I want to give you some publicity. Um, that is a good question for Dave. I don't know. I think I I do think that fundamentally our whole ecosystem believes what we believe. However, they approach it differently. This idea that organizations are still working like they did in the eighties. And that is half of the reason why there's, you know, challenges in many organizations. It's like the younger generation comes in and they want to be using the tools they used in college to cheat on their exams. Right. 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 The the older organization is no, no, you know, let me lock this file and email it around and give you the password for it and, and just kind of antiquated ways to do things. Um, so I think in some parts he thought it was a good idea, just all in, and he already had his own thing going, and so it wasn't smart to pursue it. 
Uh, I want to believe that he thought I was a capable person, but I just never really asked him that. Um, That'd be a fun question to ask him. Yeah, sure. That's awesome. What made you not give up? Like even before that. So I know those first two years are scary as hell. And especially if it takes longer than you'd like for it to take off. Right. And there's those nights you're laying there going like, God, we put in so much effort. What if nothing changes? Am I stupid? All this kind of stuff. Like how did you combat those feelings and just keep taking one more step, taking one more step? So one thing I've done since college is I've read a lot and I'm really, really fond of Tony Robbins saying burn the boats. Yeah. And there is something that I think it's Robert Kiyosaki says that like, once you get it, it's hard to unget it kind of thing. Yeah. And so we, I mean, we burned the boats when I left Google, it was like, this is the thing we're going to do. I also, there are a number of like unseen sacrifices. A lot of people don't realize stop going to happy hours. If you realize if you really evaluate your time, kind of a, like an efficiency in that if you, if you evaluate your time and you spend six hours and 50 bucks a week at happy hour, you're actually losing almost a work week a month. Yeah. In nonsense land, right? It's right. not like you're networking yeah. or selling to your peers <laughs> or anything like that. You're sitting yeah, around, yeah. you know, complaining about your boss. And the truth is I don't have to complain about my boss. I don't have that problem anymore. So yeah. I don't need to go and, and do those things. So I, um, you know, we burned the boats and didn't have a lot of other obvious options as a result of that. So it's yeah, like, um, you how, created do you keep that going? how do you keep going? I'm like going back to like, well, okay, it's me and cutting grass again, or we can keep trying. Yeah. And I think that was, I think that was really helpful. And the other thing was when you start to see that it's not impossible to make your own world. What I, what I often say to a new hires is like, we're here to make the world that we want, not let the world make us. Yeah. And once you transition that mindset into like this, anything, literally anything can happen. I got a yacht next year. I could be destitute under the bridge, but it's all up to me. And I own that accountability. And I have to like make the world that I want. Once you transition into that mindset, sitting and having a, you know, a manager say like, you can't do that because, you know, Susie and HR says no or whatever. It's like, okay, well, I, you know, that's never going to work for me anymore. So there was, <laughs> I just, I lived in this world where there wasn't a lot of options other than being successful. And I put myself into that place so that it, it, it was less tempting for me to go and say, you know what, I should just go back to Google or I should just yeah. go to some other startup or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Some of the, some of the most uh, successful leaders are terrible employees for other people, <laughs> you know? I mean, and that's how I was. I wasn't a terrible, neither were you, I'm sure. But like, I'm not fit. I'm not a great fit just plugging into like some somebody else's dream I, I i buck too much i'm like but why can't we do it this way or why you know what i'm saying and then you end well, up going and starting your own thing well it's an interesting dichotomy too because it it doesn't preclude me from doing the work so there's a lot to be said for grit and for example in those first two years i literally held like table waiting jobs right sure. i would oh I would yeah work all day long and then go away tables at night and like have people, you know, yell at me and need me to change up their drinks and whatever Yeah, to keep the lights on. And there's a keep the lights on mode and there's, you know, build your dream mode. mode. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I didn't want to end up in a situation to your point where someone else really had that full control of what, you know, what I was able or, you know, call it destiny or world building or whatever you want. Yeah. I, I wanted to have that control. And once you switch in your head, it's like, 
it's very difficult. It would today, even it would be very difficult for me to go and just take a job and do what somebody tells me and, you know, sit in the cubicle, so to speak. And yeah. Clock in, clock out. Yep. Right. Totally. Absolutely, man. Um, so encouraging. I, I want, I would love to know who were some of those influences you mentioned, you meant, mentioned Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, were there some other voices that were just good voices in your head or, or framing the world in a way that was helpful for you? I think a, a number of people have written really excellent books that reading is just becoming a lost thing for many people. Sure. Um, I think many people were turned away by the four hour work weeks title, or they expected it to be a, a you know, a manual to just yeah. suddenly not have to work. And the truth of what Tim Ferriss's book did was it helped me understand that big problems are a collection of small problems mm. that need to be deconstructed. And mm. so every time, even today, the team gets blocked on a big problem, my first instinct is to say, you know what, time out. It's not a big problem. It's a lot of small problems. What are the small problems? Which ones do we know how to solve? Which ones don't we know how to solve? Right. And that's Love the, that. That's kind of the thesis that rather that's what I took away from the book, knowing that there's lots of other stuff in there and lots of it is a personal story and all that. But um, I think Tim was uh, particularly impactful to me early on Yeah, because it helped me not be um, disheartened by large problems. Um, so I think cool. Robert, Robert Kiyosaki's overall mentality, right. Is, is obviously skewed to real estate, but the idea that, you want to be on the other side of the equation and just drawing that and making it so dead simple has been fantastic. And everybody that I introduced that concept in those books to rich dad, poor dad and the next series, um, they come back and say like, I would have not thought of it that way. And it, it is very enlightening. Yeah. Once you um, see it, you can't unsee it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, further down, I think there was one other book that was really interesting because it's a lot of how we operate today. Uh, it was by Kim Scott. It's called radical candor. Yes. I love radical. And candor. yeah. So we try to employ radical candor every day of the organization. There's nothing that you couldn't come to me and have a intelligent, um, even if it is conflicting or, or constructive conversation about, right? Like we want to be open when I have that ability to be radically candid and we're all in pursuit of making each other better. And that's just ingrained in our culture. Right. And so it's, it's, uh, what did I say in the other, the other article? If, if you focus on everyone around you being successful, including your customers, including your employees, including all the people you interact with, and you do that in a, in a candid and, and very forward way, right? Everybody's time is valuable. Yeah. Like whether karma or whatever you want to call it, it'll come back around. It'll come to you, right? We have a customer who's two and a half years later, come back and say, we left because it didn't work out, but you'd be a great fit for this person. And they referred wow. business to us. You know, most of the folks that leave here, we have very low attrition, but whoever leaves often leaves for an exponential leap. It's like, I have double and a half to my salary and I'm like, you know, Hey, this is great for you. You should go and do this for your family. Yeah. We're happy yeah. for you. And I'm glad that we were the stepping stone. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it's that rising tide raises all ships kind of idea. Exactly. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to compete for my little patch of water to, to increase. It's like, no, if, if we serve everybody, the people in our area, We'll, we'll get lifted with it. Right. Be, be focused on helping everyone succeed. Looking for the win-win is our first principle. Yeah. That will, that will pay off in spades on a long, in my opinion, on a long enough timeline. It might be, it might not even look like it paid. It might look like it went wrong for you in the short term, but in a long enough timeline, uh, that will, 
that will come back to, to pay off in spades. Super cool. I want to poke around. I want to poke around in some of your your thoughts and philosophy on some things. Sure. Uh, so one would be in those early days, you're having to learn to sell, which is like the hardest yeah. thing in the world, especially if you're a professional services person. Uh, that's been my journey. Where so I run I run a coaching company um, that does people development, helps build world class teams, that kind of stuff. But my specialty is the job, right? The specialty is the work we're doing. But then when you start your own company, you have to also be the person selling the work. And you realize that's a totally different skill, right? Like how you have that conversation, how you position yourself, how you connect dots for people to, to, to value your product or service and bring you on, all that kind of stuff. Um, was that a hard cur- learning curve for you as well, having to go out and make those first 5, 10, 15 deals? And if so, what did you learn that's helped helped you guys kind of get over that hump and be good at connecting with potential customers and uh, getting your work out there. It's been an evolution. Uh, it wasn't easy, 100%. And we actually, we we have developed in many cases or in many ways our own sales methodology. We're not a, we're not a fully sailor sales shop. We're not a challenger sales shop. Uh, again, this sort of acquisition of knowledge is kind of my thing. So I read a lot of the books and I went sure. to seminars and all things. But there was one thing that I would, well, the, the one thing we underpin our sales teams with is people want to do business with people that they like. Yeah. And so we focus on the relationship. We do, we will not hear us get on the phone and say, hello, I would like to see if you want to purchase collaboration tools. Let me tell you about the value of the tools. It's not what we do. Yeah. What we want to do is get on the phone and say, what are you, what do you, what is on your 2021 plan? What are you trying to do? Tell us about your business, right? Because if you tell me about what your coaching staff does and what your business yeah. objectives are and the things you're focused on in 21, I can synthesize that. A team can synthesize that. And we, right. can, we can hear what you're saying and we can say, you know what? We might not be a great fit for you right now. That's okay. Or have you considered this thing that might actually speed that up or make it yep. better? Yep. And if I, if I start with a sledgehammer and I push product and I, I, I hit you in the face with it. Yeah. I don't think that you're likely to buy it unless you have a burning need and burning need exactly. customers aren't always the best ones. But yeah. if we start with, look, we're here to see if we can add value or not. And if you help us understand what you're doing and what you're trying to do, we can bring in the perspectives that we have across the industry. And if you like it, and if you think it makes sense and you like us, yeah, we got it. We've got a path forward. Right. And that has been very successful for us. It took us a while to get there. There were years where we would send product down your throat. There were years where we would kind of have this like funky hybrid model where it sounded really funny. And when you got on the phone with us, because we weren't sure what we were doing. Yeah. And now we're finally in this place. We're really getting a lot closer to, I mean, I've told very large logos, like we're just not right for you right now. This isn't the right yes. thing for you to do. You don't have the right mindset. It's okay. You know, we're here. If something happens, let us know. We told people that just want to price uh, we've had a number of customers come in and just say, "What's the best discount you can give us?" And the answer is, "We're not, the, we're not the right partner for you." Yeah. I, I, let me help you. I can introduce you. I know everybody. I'll tell you who can give you the best discount, and let me send you their direction. And I sometimes love that. it's gotten, you know, kind of funny for them, right? Because um, I, one vendor in particular, I mean, it's like no one has ever told me to go away when I asked for a price. <laughs> like, 
I'm not mad. I just don't think that you're the person that we want, right? And, and it doesn't mean that I'm pushing lots of customers away. Let's be honest. We need money. We need customers. We need work. Yeah. But we are getting tighter and tighter and closer and closer to this idea that if we don't, if you don't value the relationship in the same way that we do, and if you don't allow us to, to sort of have those relationships with you, yeah, I can tell you from data that our long-term viability is you as a customer. Next year, you're just going to renew with whoever has totally. a discount or whatever, right? Yeah. And that's not, and that's not necessarily good for us, and it's not good yep. for you. It's just do it right the first time. Um, and we've, yeah. we've been evolving, like I said, at the beginning, evolution. Uh, today, I would say relationship is the leader in doing business with people that we like and they like us is the most yeah. important sales tactic I can I can call out. Super helpful, man. Yeah, that was that was one of the first things I didn't realize I was doing bass backwards was I always thought we were supposed to lead with what we do. Let me tell you about what we do, you know? Got to listen. Yeah. And I had some good people come around and they're like, no, no one gives a shit about what you're doing. I was like, <laughs> well, why? why? And they're like, they care about what they're doing. And they'll only care about what you're doing if it could potentially help something that's hurting or help them get someone faster that they want to go. So they're like, get to know them. And I was like, I like that. Cause that's what I'm going to do as a coach. And anyways, is like, I want to know you. I want to listen. I want to know what's in, what's in your way. And they're like, do that in sales, you know, get to know them. And then the same thing, have the integrity to say, yes, we can help you or no, we can't based on what you're hearing. And you got to have that integrity of saying, no, we can't, or, or it's not the right time or you're not the right fit. You know, exactly like you're saying, which is scary. It's scary to do it first when you feel like you need anything and everything, right? The, the anything and everything has its place. And certainly in, you know, year three, right? We're like, okay, yep, everybody coming on. What we found is there's more friction from the anything and everybody customers later. Yes. Than when you optimize and you just say, you know what? You know, we have aligned values and you are going to be the right fit for us and vice versa. We're the right fit for you. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it usually ends up costing you somehow. It costs you in headaches or in dissatisfaction on your end or their end. Like it just it ends up breaking down somewhere. Uh, okay, so I'm curious. Let's let's go now out of the sales conversation to the team building conversation. When you were first making your first few hires, you know, let's say not your first few. Let's say when it's getting to like six to ten, right? It's no longer just you and a couple buddies. You now got some people built. Like what were the where was your head at? And what were some of the key lessons you learned about starting to starting to build really the infrastructure of this company? Uh, so I messed it up mercilessly. Perfect. Uh, I, did, I did buddies and then buddies of buddies and then buddies, buddies, buddies. And what I ended up with was clicks and learning later that that was like, it was very friendly, but not very productive. Gotcha. And we we didn't learn until at least 10 that the spectrum of experts in particular areas is actually very wide. Mm. So for example, um, to do a technical delivery and what we do, there is some amount of programmatic training and there's some amount of um, you know, real life training where you go through and you do it a bunch of times. And most reasonably savvy technical people can figure it out, right? I was uh, answering phones at a bank and then I figured it out over the course of the following two years, right? And like, I'm not a genius, let's be clear. <laughs> so the difference is 
not anybody should do it because the soft skills and the customer management and the like conversational skills are 10, 10 miles apart yeah. from, you know, uh, uh, a pure play developer who has no interest in being social to this highly skilled engineer who has great customer expectation management skills and is able to do, uh, you know, just about anything that you want with a customer. And we learned late that the pay gradient is quite small, but the skill gap is quite large. And going out to market and actually finding the right people is the is one of the most important things you do. If there's there's a number of things that have done differently, but one of the things that we've done is started open market hiring earlier. Mm. Um, because we we literally did it was like friends, okay, friends of friends, okay. Does anybody else have any friends? Yeah. You know, who do we trust? Who do we think would be fun to hang in and, and do all the things? And many of them, you know, had a good six to 18 month stint, but didn't didn't really have the interest, didn't really have the right. soft skills, didn't, they're just sort of like, this would be a fun thing to do and why not? We'll check it out and, sure. and then bounce around. So uh, I would say, think early about your principles and the things you really care about in a team, and then go to market, go to wide market earlier. Don't start with friends. Like, of course, you got to have a founder or co-founder and all the things. Sure. But don't underestimate how awesome of a person you're going to find in the wide market. That was one of the big areas that we goofed up for. Dude, for a that's long time. so good. It makes me think about every time I, I think about this kind of conversation. It makes me think about the odds of finding or being able to put together a, you know, so I played soccer. So I'm going to think about that first 11 guys on a field. If you have a high school of 5,000 students, the odds of you putting together a competitive 11 people are high versus if you go to a private school where there's 30 people in every grade, right? right. It's like, it's a smaller pool and the odds are low. The, 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 the 11 that you got inside of that 30 students or that, what would that be? 120 students of four grades is always going to get his butt kicked nine times out of 10 by the larger high school. And when we just look through our friends, and our networks, even though it's convenient and it's, and it's got some advantages, maybe they like you already or trust you already. The odds are just smaller of you really finding that great fit that like, that's our starting, you know, forward. That's our starting center mid. Like he is a baller versus you go to the wider market. And now you're looking at tens of thousands of people and you're looking for the right fit. You just have a better chance of finding really what you were setting out to look for. Does that make sense? Well, and you have a, you have two advantages in your network, right? You have, you've got um, com- uh, uh, convenience, your words, and yeah. you've also got this probably, uh, when, you're, when it's early, you're convincing people to start with less pay. Like, sure. Drone should come on, but you're going to make 22% less than you would have your, you know, tomorrow if you went to yeah. a real job. Yeah. Up. a different job you know what i mean <laughs> that's how um, it feels at the beginning <laughs> like is right. this a real job i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but the 10 percent that you're going to pay in a premium to have somebody in the wider pool is yeah. absolutely worth it hands down yeah and it doesn't seem like it is at the time but the the offset there is is in, intensely valuable and you know you're interviewing for culture fit at that stage you're not interviewing yeah. for i mean your skills of course i need some skills but you're interviewing for culture. You do fit our principles. Do you fit what we are trying to accomplish? And as long as you define that and then you cast the net really wide, you're going to get better outcomes, even at the slight premium early on. 
Ah, such good advice. Uh, you know, even you talking about looking for culture fit, being clear at the beginning, what you're trying to build. It makes me think of an uh, interview I heard with Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of P Patagonia. And they were talking about what a crazy company it is, just how it operates. That They go, you know, if it's if the surf's nice out that day, people just go out and surf. If he's gone for a whole quarter every year, you know, out in Patagonia, <laughs> fly fishing and, and he's all that kind of stuff. They're like, how did you... How do you do that? How do you have a company that operates on that? And he said, I wouldn't if I hadn't started that started with that vision of mine from the beginning. So he said, a lot of companies come in and see the unique way that they run things or do things. And they're like, we're going to change our company to be like that. And he's like, it's too late. It's too late. You've already got 100 employees that are used to a different culture that are operating in a different way. He's like, you got to have at least a semblance of that idea from the beginning and like really get everybody used to like, this is our culture. And we built it slowly like that to figure out how it works. He said uh, the first time that they were instituting early on that, like, Hey, the surf's out, go out, you know, and they had all these unfulfilled orders and like no one had coordinated with each other. No one had said like, Hey, who's still going to ship the products out or whatever. And so they're like, they had to come back together and figure that out. Like, all right, how do we still be professional while still wanting to have this fun element to our company, but you had to do that when it was small, right? And then slowly hire and kind of build that expectation as the company got bigger. So it reminds me of what you're doing, just thinking from that way all the way at the beginning. Well, one of our, and so great example, like one of our principles is accountability, right? I'm a and Randy and of sorts. I very much think that you are responsible and accountable. And like, that is a big culture element for us. I don't want to hear I do want to hear that you failed and you messed up and what you learned and how you're going to do better next time. I don't want to hear that it was the customer's fault or somebody else's yeah. fault or whatever. But the downstream ramification of that is we have unlimited PTO. Yep. And and so I also don't want to be bothered, frankly. You know, you go to the doctor, you want to get your oil changed, your kid has a half day. All that is, I don't, cool. Yeah, you don't want to have to approve all that. <laughs> do what you do, what makes you feel good and, and, and productive. Yeah. But be accountable for your work. You've got your work. You got to get it done. Sometimes it's really irritating. Sometimes it's light. Like, that's okay. Yeah. That's the nature of the beast. And as a result, if we value accountability and we, we, we screen in the hiring process for accountability, or when you listen, you get people and you say, what's one of the worst things that's happened to you in your current career? And they say, oh, my team didn't do their work and customer yelled at me. And, and then like, I wasn't successful. You're like, hmm, it doesn't sound the same as somebody saying, you know, I wasn't able to pull it together well. And as a result, the customer wasn't, wasn't happy. And, you know, I had to go and take this to my boss and try to figure out wow. how to do better. Right. Wow. And there's little things you listen for, but when you get there, you end up with a, a number of folks, a whole team of people that value accountability in the same way. So unlimited time off is not a problem. If anything, we're going to end up instituting, you have to take a week off consecutive because people don't use it as much as they should. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it makes, it makes for an interesting, uh, uh, interesting experience but if you do that early to your point you, yeah. it's it's harder and harder as time goes on so you have to identify that early you have to screen for those things and it's sometimes a good... they don't believe you have you noticed that like early on when if they're used to i almost think of about it like somebody coming out of like abusive relationship you know and they like don't trust that like you're not you're not going to be pissed if they take that time off or it's like they don't trust like they don't know how to trust that you trust them yeah does that if make sense I'm not even looking. I don't care what you do as long as your work's done. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I, I had a guy, one a guy that works for me today texted us, hey, is it okay if I take a personal day? Whatever. I'm like, why? I've told you this 10 times. Why are you texting me? 
Like I, if you want to connect, that's awesome. But like, you, you don't need my permission. You, you, I trust you. You know, what I mean? but, if, like, but if one of your customers shows up tomorrow or Monday and says, Hey, I, you know, I was supposed to meet with so-and-so and I, yeah. he didn't, I had no communication. Like I'm upset. Hey, no, you've that's we'll issue, about. and that's yeah. what we're going to talk about. Right. If you needed a personal day, you need to at least reschedule or cover. Yes. Do what's right for the team and then do yep. what you got to do. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But he was so used to these. I mean, he came from high competitive culture where everyone is looking busy for the boss <laughs> to see that they're busy, even if they're not doing anything. And he knows, and he's told me, he's like, I know that's not here. He's like, it's still like in the back of my brain. Like I've got to justify to these people all the time that I'm valuable and I'm doing my work and whatever. We just keep trying to send the same message. Like we trust you. Looking You're busy great. is a, is a pandemic that, that it is, is bro. Miserable. When his wife is still there, his wife works at the same company and she's about to leave as well, but he's watching. Now he's seen the juxtaposition of like people doing real work that matters and then not when they don't have to versus her like trying to keep up and show people even if she's done her work. Like, I guess I'll stay an extra hour because other people are staying an extra hour and she's just poking around on stuff. You know what I mean? And he's like, this is such a waste of time. Why is this happening? But it is. It's like a pandemic. Yeah. Time is so valuable. And like encouraging people and helping people understand that working smart is, is the thing to do. And then being supportive of it again, this is you know, back to principles, right? Yeah. Where we have, you know, accountability and, and we have hustle and pride, but we also have humility, right? Be humble that these are the things that if you're delivering excellent work and you're doing it well, you know, rock and roll, right? That's what we need to be doing. All yeah. the other stuff. Uh, it's, um, I say less important, but it just is less valuable. You're responsible for you, right? Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. And if we all, if we actually do take accountability, the system works. If we don't take accountability, system doesn't work, but <laughs> that's not what we're building. We're building a system of accountability and it, and it helps undergird the the freedoms that you get. Right. And you'd be, su- you'd be surprised how well people respond to direct coaching when it yeah. is related to things that are spelled out of accountability, spelled out in principle. So when you get, a, a funny conversation about how the customer did this and that and how the whatever happened. And it's definitely not your fault. <laughs> and you sit down and you say, look, you need to help me understand what you could have done better and how we're going to learn from this situation. Not what everyone else did to impact the system, right? Cause we, we own the destiny here. Yeah. Uh, people respond remarkably well to that when it's, when it's easy to identify and it, the light goes off the transition yeah. In their in their thinking happens when you really identify it in that way. So well, especially uh, when you when they can tell you're looking to call it's a cheesy phrase, but it is helpful. You're looking to call them up instead of call them out. So we're not looking to like have a gotcha moment. We're saying, no, we want to learn. So like don't don't put your defenses up. Like what happened that you could have owned that could have been done differently, not to place the blame on you, but so that we can learn together or you can learn and progress. And that's, that's not a scary thing once you see it through that lens. Right. Super cool. All right. What would you say for you has been uh, maybe the most helpful to keep your head, your heart, your energy level locked in and focused and, and showing up to the business every day? It's just such a challenge, right? Uh, to get, we can get tired. We can get burnt out. We can get distracted. We can lose our way kind of thing. Have there been certain rituals, habits, or even just reading or whatever, like what, what has helped you? Uh, yeah, a myriad of things. It's an, it's another, 
I'm, I'm big on experimenting. And so I've done all the things I've done full keto. I only eat meat and butter, uh, to yes. try to <laughs> increase my focus, right? Like physiologically, uh, Is that like the I bullet, have, bullet coffee, throwing the stick of butter in the coffee. Like, but really, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and not for nothing, it works great. If you do it religiously, you will lose a bunch of weight and you'll feel great, but it's not particularly sustainable. Tough to sustain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that for me, burning the boats was a good exercise in the beginning. And I, I bring it up again because there's a ton of temptation to want to use your weekends to hang out. And to want to go to happy hour and to want to engage socially. And if you think about it like a batch process where you say, instead of going to happy hour four times a month, once a month, I'm going to have an awesome dinner with my friends and spend six hours and maybe spend all that money unknown, right? Sure. What you've done is you've freed up a ton of time. Whether you freed up the dollars or not, you've made the other three happy hours you would have had available time and really being objective and looking at like, what did I miss? Okay, Thursday, we didn't go and like complain about work in the stock market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I just, it does not, it's, it's not actually a valuable. Um, for me, it was really helpful to start early and say no and repeatedly say no to everything from barbecues on the back porch to happy hours with friends to just. It's Saturday. I agree that you guys want to sleep in, but like, doesn't matter. Like, I'm I'm gonna be at it at 7:30. We got stuff to do. Got to do this thing, and it is it is my mission. Um, as I've evolved, right? This whole thing is a constant evolution. Having sure. having an organization, the organization evolves. You evolve. You have to grow. Um, I found that being an early riser, I, I try to get up at 5:30 every day, and making sure that before I do anything um, specifically work focused, I I, I exercise in some way, either run or I, you know, I lift weights or do something. And for me, there's a lot of perspective by reading the, the news. So I actually sit and read the news, which a lot of people don't agree with. But uh, I'll sit and I'll I'll read, you know, a, a number of feeds, half an hour's worth of like what's happening in the world. Yeah. Not related necessarily to the business, related to crypto and world governments and wars and whatever's happening, right? All the things. Yeah. Um, to keep me balanced so I don't end up with tunnel vision, then I start the day. Then it's, you know, uh, um, meals and, and whatever. One other thing that was really valuable to me that I still do today, but was really valuable early on, was I tried to reduce my decisions. You hear a lot about decision fatigue. I think it's real. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I eat the same breakfast to this day. I eat the same breakfast and same lunch every single day. And I... Uh, with light variants, wear the same clothes, meaning I've got a row of shirts and I've got a row of pants and like yeah, just, just take one out and it, it does not matter what they are and they are in order. And it's like insanely easy for me to get up, shower and put on clothes because it's just the same, right? And it's two eggs and avocado and one piece of toast every morning. And I, I don't have to think about what's going to happen. It's just part of the natural motion of the morning. Yeah. And ultimately that is uh, in many cases helped me conserve mental energy if you will and really have sure. it to be dedicated um i think it's made my wife a little crazy but <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a different thing and and there's some coexistence issues that you really have to be upfront and have you know communication about that stuff but um especially as you expand and we're you know growing globally now and all this it, it's helpful to have that foundation early and 
um, you'll have to think about it. So I love that. Yes. I'm always looking for, I'm not as, as anal as some people about like efficiency to the max and that kind of stuff, but I am highly aware of decision fatigue. I am aware of things that are worth time and energy and things that aren't worth time and energy. And yep. if it's in that not worth time and energy category, I'm like, all right, well, how do we make this as simple and repeatable as possible? You know, like I don't care about my breakfast, similar to you. So I have the same breakfast every morning. The thing I would, I would like to do is figure out my lunch. That part, I waste too much time thinking about, but I would like to do so, that. That would be helpful. Well, and, and so again, this was an evolution, but it started it's sort of irritating meal planning rubber containers. And it landed at the grocery store down the street makes pre-made salads and they're 400 calories. And they're like, six dollars on sunday we get six of them dude i like that and that's it it's like they're in this they're in there you know they're in the fridge and you go and you yeah. grab one and that's that right if you're going yeah. to the office throw in the bag you're done and yeah costco has these pre-made wraps that i got last week and i loved those yep there's but like it makes it easy and there's there's no you just six of them and you're done there's no thinking yep. about it lunch comes you grab your salad and keep right on moving yeah yeah i like that all right speaking of evolution i love that you use that uh you know, it's, it's really evolve or die. Like that is how life works, right? That's how a company's going to grow. Your family's going to grow and change. Your marriage is going to grow and change. It's like, Hey, we have to keep being willing to change and adapt. As you look at your company today, what would you say is the evolution need currently? Like what's the inflection point? What's the, like, here's where we are realizing we need to, to, to adapt or grow or change in some, some meaningful ways. Um, at that 40 person marker, we're right at where we are. We are evolving into the business processes that you don't need when you're five people. Yeah. Um, the transition is around communication, right? When there's five of you doing a project, it's fairly easy to stay in sync. It's fairly easy to communicate well. Yeah, you're all like and in the same room. <laughs> literally, right? Yeah, yeah. Now we're distributed. We've got office here in Atlanta. We've got folks in four other states where we have you know, presences and it isn't sufficient enough to chat each other. It isn't sufficient to look over your shoulder and say, Hey, did you do this? And the evolution we're going through is you under, you know, underpinning with Salesforce, right. And underpinning with other platforms to literally make sure that the data is in one place. Mm. Everybody knows where it is and everybody's contributing their part. So now on the, our back end, right, we've got an object an account and it has, you know, 50 variables inside or 50 custom objects underneath everything from projects to support cases, to finances, to invoices, to everything. And that way we've got the system to like, Hey, if Drew needs to understand something about the, the, the companies on the phone with in 40 seconds, he can figure it all out. He can get a good, good overview. He doesn't have to chat or even figure out who to chat. Yeah. The last three people that worked on it. I, I will say that transition has been interesting. Because the evolution from, you know, let's call it wave one employees and folks here on the team that are like chatting each other and looking over their shoulder to now is why do we have to do this? This is yeah. painful. This is an extra 15 minutes every, you know, every day that I don't want to do. Yeah. But the helping everyone see, like literally call out places where pain has been applied on, on accident, right? We had a phone call with this customer and we didn't know that Joe did this, right? Yeah, makes it uh, you know more real for the team and, and that evolution. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you meant. I mean, there's lots of like business changes that are happening, but yeah, core no, team that, functionality. That's like perfect. We're, 
you know, we're working through that process orientation, which is yeah, often overlooked. Yeah. So we we the way we described it is going from organic to organized. And yeah. that's a very that's a very tricky um transition. And it can be scary for some people because some of the things you loved most came from the organic nature of things. It came from the free flow of communication and trust and not too many structures and all that kind of stuff. And then you realize like, hey, we're so big, like we have to go more organized. Like we had to organize the, you know, the chaos. Uh, and then it's about like, well, how do we do it right where it supports all those things versus changes all those things, right? That's the tricky part. And it's right around where you guys are. It's, it's right around that 40 to 60 uh, kind of thing and you feel it earlier around 20 to 40 you start to feel that like hey this is bigger than one room you know that we can all see each other but then it really right around 40 you're, you're starting to feel like all right it's time to give in <laughs> you know what are what are some of the the formal structures and things we need to do yeah we we felt it early and uh, you know story of the year right we're pretty much late to uh, catch on on everything so we're we're doing it now and it, it's <laughs> It's, it's especially interesting for us because this is a service we provide with consultants who go into large organizations and say, we have to revamp this workflow and we can use technology to make it <laughs> right, better. Right. <laughs> and so I have to like turn it inward and it's like, yeah, I know, but hold on. Let's think about it. We got to do it. Right. Yeah. But that's, exactly. I love it, man. That's what makes humans so fun and interesting. Like uh, the guy literally this morning, the interview I had before you, uh, he's also in professional services and he was taught, we were both sharing about how sometimes we forget to apply the same skill set knowledge to our home life. Yeah. You know, where it's like you're out there doing and you're in a certain mode, leading your team or leading the, the, the customers. And then you don't apply that same energy and skill set at home and you don't even think about it. It's very similar to like, yeah, we go and provide this service to other people. And sometimes we overlook applying what, what it could look like to apply that same thinking to our business. I, I personally love that. I think it's just it's the human element of like we all got blind spots. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, I bet we'd actually really kick ass if we put our own you know, turn those heads towards us, you know, yeah. and, and, and did some of the same work on ourselves. Yep. And Super. talking about home, home too. I mean, <laughs> for better for worse, we've got our calendars and project plans for our vacation and all the things here at home, home as well. So it's heck yeah. It's, it's been a turning point for me in the last, you know, 12 months all the way around. I need to apply process to these things and I see the value. Certainly yeah. we're doing it for our, for our clients. It's more of a, uh, to your point, sometimes you forget, you got to turn it yeah. inward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that. Okay. One more question before we get in the lightning round. Um, you mentioned it earlier, even in the, in the, in our pre-conversation, you were joking about like, maybe that's my, um, maybe that's my imposter syndrome and just love to get into headspace because I struggle with imposter syndrome. I haven't coached somebody that hasn't struggled to some degree with some bullshit story they believe about themselves or some discrediting narrative or whatever. Like, I just want to talk about it because it is way more prevalent than we all realize it is part of being a human. And the difference is, do we know how to navigate it? You know, can we, can we feel that and navigate through that? And so I'm just curious for you, what has been a story that has maybe tempted to hijack your confidence or disrupt your you know, I almost think of like disrupting your, your, your peak state where it kind of takes you out of it and you're down low energy, stressed, something like that. Um, would you mind sharing about that? Um, yeah, I, I think it happens all the time. 
um, because of our culture of accountability, I often uh, will sometimes spiral trying to figure out yes. what happened, right? Yes. And you know, sort of backing up to your point about imposter syndrome, I, I have decided years ago that through a number of experiences, you know, even at PNC and at my dad's restaurant and stuff, like people are just people. The CEOs of companies watch football the same way that you do on a Sunday afternoon. And so there's no material reason that I couldn't do what they do. Now there's lots of skill gaps. Sure. But it's just a dude who has 24 hours in his day, or it's just a woman with 24 hours in her day. And like, I have 24 hours, right? I might have to yeah. level up, but I still, there's not, there's nothing that precludes me from having a conversation with them. There's nothing that precludes yeah. me from thinking the way they think. And it's all, a, it's all my challenge, right? I take that internally and I say, like, it's my challenge to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And um, in many cases, in the last, you know, 36 months, we've had conversations where I'm on the phone with like a CIO or a C-level executive of a, you know, super huge organization. Everybody would know, right? We've talked to, to folks at Pandora Radio, right? We've talked to folks at like these big global organizations. Yeah. And it's just a guy. I'm like, all I can think about is it's just the, it's just a person. That's and they right. watch football on Sunday and they cook for their kids and they shower in the morning. Like it's not a big deal. Yes. Right? Yes. And that has been really helpful for me in leveling the playing field in my mind. Um, in terms of the imposter center and how it like, you know, talking about low points, you know, we've lost some key people, right? We've lost some folks we really, really love here that yeah. have moved on. And I look at it and I say, like, I didn't see it coming. I did something wrong. We're not what could I have done better or differently to retain this person that we love so much? Um, or, or we lose a customer, right? A customer comes and says, we didn't, we didn't, um, you know, we didn't get the experience we thought we were going to have. And so we're going to go to this other vendor and I'm like, no, the vendor's not as good. Uh, what do we do wrong? Where are the gaps? What are the things? Yeah. And I, what will happen to me often is I will sit down and I will think, well, I, I'm not as communicative as I could be. I didn't, I didn't care openly enough i didn't have the right system in place and then the list starts to go and grow and grow and grow and suddenly i'm looking at this enormous list and i'm like oh man i'm actually like really bad at this maybe i should just find somebody else to do this job <laughs> and i i often will pull myself out from there and it's like wait it's not that bad like you know this is an isolated event try not to yes there are tons of opportunities for improvement but improvement sure. is incremental right that's in first approach sure. this isn't boil the ocean. This is take the first two steps. If we lost a person or talent that we really wanted to retain, what are two things that we can ask them on the way out that we can help, you know, retain the next person that we really want. Or if we have a customer yeah. that thinks they're gonna have a better experience, really show them that you care on the way out. We've had a number of organizations who have, have um, turn or whatever left and we've sent them pointers and tips six months later to help them be successful. It's like, yeah. you know, we have a, we do, one of the things that we do is migrations will help you move your data from one system to the other. And we had a, a large organization that just chose the other vendor because they were cheaper. And I'm like, you know, I feel about that, right? But I like them and they've been around for a long time. And so we said, hey, here are the things you gotta watch out for that we don't think other people know. Try not to give them the sauce, but make sure you ask these questions so that at least you don't end up in a bad place. It's all fine. Like we want you to be successful first. And, and I, you know, like, I feel good about that, right? We, we know that stuff. Yeah. So anyway, your, your point about spiraling and imposter syndrome, I, I 
pretty much perpetually feel like I'm not the right, best, smartest person. But Thank you. I try to to pare down my mental lists of opportunities for improvement and yeah, you know, just attack them one at a time, right? How can I be better next time? How can I communicate better? Thank you for sharing because again, most people feel that way, but they always think they're the anomaly. Everybody else just walks around thinking they're the stuff. And if they do, that person has a different kind of psychological problem, right? They have, they have something called like narcissism where they don't see their weaknesses. Uh, there's a great phrase from an old Kung Fu movie that says, um, what is what is cowardice but the body's wisdom of its weakness? What is bravery but the body's wisdom of its strength? And then it said, yeah. the coward and the hero march together inside of every man. And I just, I, I love that. Yeah, that's incredible. I had not heard that one. It's it's really important to know where your strengths and weaknesses are and be realistic about that. Though we've met lots of people, you've met lots of people, I'm sure. Yeah. They know everything and they're super awesome and there's nothing in the way. First, I would say this goes back to my everybody watches football and takes a shower analogy. They are probably pretending because everybody's pretending. Yep. Literally everybody that you meet in every yep. position everywhere is in some way or another pretending. And if they're not, probably have a problem. <laughs> 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 like, yes. Anybody who truly believes that they know everything and, and they have everything under control is just my opinion flat out lying not yes. because that they don't it's just because it's hard everybody is the same struggle it's, it's exactly. everybody in every direction right exactly well i want to highlight two things that that i see you doing really well in your answer so the first is you're stopping the spiral i call it stopping the skid where your brain starts to go into some unhelpful it's, it's called rumination where we start ruminating on like god i really screwed that up man i'm not good at this maybe i'm not cut out for this and you just start going down this rabbit hole and it's like oh stop first thing you do is just stop and then you are reframing into a growth mindset so instead of the like this this proves that i don't have what it takes which is fixed like this is giving me the feedback that i don't have what it takes you're going no there's no good reason why i can't grow from this even if i made a mistake there's no good reason why i can't get better so let's put facts instead of feelings let's let's kind of you know look at this and then decide what we can learn from it and move on and you're going in this direction instead of spiraling down this direction and then the other thing we talked about is i've never seen I've never seen a cure for imposter syndrome, or at least uh, cure is not the right word, progress in battling the imposter syndrome without a commitment to authenticity. And I think that's what you're doing well, that none of us does perfectly, right? But when you start to see that the game is the problem, the pretending is the problem, right? The acting right. like I have no issues or whatever, like that is what causes us to feel like an imposter because we are. But when you start to go and it's risky because you're afraid that maybe you'll be rejected, but go, here's who I really am. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. I'm human. I make mistakes. I'll apologize when I do. You start to have a freedom, a slow building freedom of like, I'm not pretending. There's nothing to, there's nothing to call me out on. You know what I mean? It's incredible how well that applies to everyone. An example, I know we're, like we had a customer who was MO was to tell us how terrible we were. It did not matter. He'd send them a cake, <laughs> put their name on it. And we like, like vanilla the cake was yeah. Vanilla and not chocolate. Like this <laughs> just doesn't matter. Right. And we had this call and the team had me in for an escalation and I was listening to the call and it was 
so-and-so didn't do this, and so-and-so didn't do that, and this is unacceptable here, and whatever. And we want an answer to this. I just said, well, we don't know the answer. And like, dead air. Yeah, they're what? <laughs> and I'm like, we you know, we don't know the answer. And, and, and we'll go figure it out. But like, the team's going to make something up if they answer you in the next 30 seconds. So I'm just going to tell them not to. Yes, come on. And and we'll come back with the right answer. And there was an easy 30, 25 second, like just, <laughs> can't see my face, just dead look in everybody's like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah. hey, yeah, we're the, so we're the experts you hired. Sure, totally. I don't know the answer to your question. Now there's anybody here. I don't want to make something up for you. Yeah. I'm going to go figure it out. I'll know it next time. But right yeah. now, can we move on? Can we get to a part of the meeting that is productive? Because telling us how bad we did and how we don't know it is, is true. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now what? Right. Yeah, exactly. that's it. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Once you do that, you play a different game. You go from playing this like posturing, pretending game to like, people don't know what to do when you just say the truth. And then right. they actually most times trust you more. It garners respect. Like, yeah. I'm like, dude, I, again, I had a guy, I, I've used this story 10 times because I clients that I work with often, especially in sales. Well, what if I, uh, when they're new in it, like, what, what happens if I get in there and I don't know what the customer's asking me or whatever? I'm like, tell them you don't know, but you're committed to finding out. And they're like, I can say that. I'm like, yeah. And I tell them the story of, I had a heat and air guy come to fix our AC last year. Young guy comes in really friendly, goes up there. Uh, he's up there for a while poking around. He comes down. I say, how's it going? We just ran by. How's it going? He's like, um, I'm gonna be honest with you, sir. He goes, I'm into my first like three months of this job. I think I know what the problem is, but I'm not positive. I'm going to go call my boss to confirm. Is that okay? And I was like, of course it's okay. That's awesome. Like go call your boss. Right. Don't fix the wrong thing. (laughs) Yeah. I would love for you to double check that you know what the problem is. And then you could tell he was like, unsure if that was the right thing to say and i told him after i was like man i really appreciate your honesty i'm going to give you a really great like review like feedback of your boss and they called to give it to me free which was interesting they were like hey you know i think they were embarrassed that he called for advice i was like no i don't i was like i appreciate that if you if you want to get me free i'll take it but i was like i want you to know i give this guy high marks like pay extra he did the right thing he did the right thing like i want him to call whoever he's got to call i get that he's in the first part of his job like that's always a learning curve and i just stuck with me like even in my business telling someone like don't know don't know but i'd be happy to go find out there's an anchor here that's very philosophical but i firmly believe that school i'll call it education maybe not school doesn't teach people to fail well Mm. because failure is literally the only way to grow in real life yeah but if you don't get the right answer on the test you get penalized and so you have like this huge body of people where for me, it was a blessing doing poorly in school. I mean, I learned, I learned things and the things that were interesting to me, but overall learning that the failure wasn't the end game. It was a start ultimately helped me identify and drive everything. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it feels like you're failing to say, I just don't know. And the, the ingrained response is don't say that. But the truth is that actually is what everybody, like everybody lives. Nobody knows everything. So whether yes. it's the auto mechanic or the HVAC guy or your consultant or whatever, um, failure is an opportunity to learn. And the yeah. more you get into that growth mindset and you see it that way, in my opinion, the absolutely more successful you will be. Well, even in our in our kind of industry, so you and I are both in kind of professional services and, and supposed to be in, in 
to me found that saying I don't know to a truly complicated question shows respect to the compl- to the complicated nature of the situation. Yep. And as the person who's dealing with it, I'm actually suspicious of a simplistic answer back to me. You know, I'm almost like, hold on. You just automatically assume you know the answer. I'm not, I haven't even given you all the details yet. Like this is complex. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, so sometimes I don't know actually shows a little bit of respect. Like, I don't know. That's a really, that's a really great question. I need to know some more. Could you, yeah. could you tell me some more? Like, let's, let's really get into what's going on here. I want to make sure that I give you helpful feedback in the area that you're feeling some pain in. Right. Um, all right. We're already, uh, you got me all fired up. This is great. Uh, let's dive into the lightning round questions. Five questions for you, Matt. Uh, number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? This was one of the most challenging questions you had for me. I think I would want every, everyone I meet, but the team in particular to be more curious. Mm. I think often people get stuck in what they know and they do not seek out knowledge about more things. And it ultimately ends up a challenge. Um, just be curious. Why does that happen? What is this thing? Why? You yeah. Know, that the, the constant questioning of the universe, in my opinion, expands people and it helps yeah. them be, um, you know, more effective, more successful and more interesting, frankly. Love it. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what was the worst? It's an interesting one because I've gotten a lot of bad advice in my opinion, <laughs> <laughs> but not, a, I don't mean not a ton of good, but no, like real standouts. I think failing fast is something that was called out to me really early. Mm. And I remember distinctly having a, a conversation where I was describing a project that was totally sideways. And the response on the other end of the line was like, great. Now you know how not to do it next time. And I thought, huh? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, good point. And yeah. it was a, it was a bit of a turning point from our perspective because it's hard to get out of the don't fail mindset. Right? Yeah. It's really hard to break out of that and feel good about screwing things up. So failing fast is probably the best. The worst was there was a chorus of people telling me just how dumb I was for leaving Google mm. and my nice salary and my like security into the future. And it, it was, it was, it was everybody and it didn't get better because we didn't succeed. So we started and then we went <laughs> like, you know, what works. And they're like, see, we told you you're an idiot. And that just sort of progressed. And I, I think it's not like business, business advice in the clearest sense. Um, but every, every, all the naysayers, that was a, a big challenge for me in, in the early years um, because there was, no reason, no objective reason to think that it wasn't going to work, but mm. people weren't in love with it. I love that. Number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization? Mm. Uh, this ties back to being curious. I worry that organizationally, we, we limit the scope of our vision. We don't have a broad vision. Um, part of this whole like news exercise in the morning, for example, is making sure I'm like looking at the world, make the big picture, the global picture, the biggest picture. And especially for what we do, if I don't watch technology, then I'll get 
you know, run over, right. By trying to sell people and teach people the old things. Yeah. And so what worries me about the organization is lack of, of broad vision. And it rolls up to me too, when it comes to leading, making sure that I'm you don't want to taking miss into the consideration all the things, right. I'm thinking about, you know, personal development, something that I lost sight of for a little while. I didn't really ask people, how do you want to grow in your career? Like, what can I do to support that? Yeah. Right. And that's a yeah. broad vision thing where if I say like, Hey, I want to be a better project manager. Let's go to scrum school. Yeah. Cool. But scrum school is, you know, well, probably helpful, not, not potentially what the person wants to do in their career. Right. 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 Keeping that broad vision has been uh, um, a focused challenge for me. Love it. All right. Number four, what is your big, hairy, audacious goal? Your BHAG. Just want to call out that I hate the term BHAG. It's, uh, <laughs> in my opinion, one, it just sounds goofy. And two, we have, uh, we have myriads of goals, right? And they're all in different categories. And so the challenge for me is if there's no yeah. one big, you know, silly goal, there's, a, you know, business growth goal, right? For us, we want to be global. We want to, we are expanding into the EU. There's a myriad of things that come with the regulatory and tax environment over there. And they're all, it's all learning. It's like, Work councils, what are those, right? So yeah. there's this whole thing to be done there. But, you know, personally, right, we're, we're or sorry, interpersonally, like I was talking about expanding and making sure that people have the right development opportunities and so on and so on. So if I had to nail one down, I would say doing all the things that will allow us to be global. But that's, uh, I don't think about it in that way. There's no one giant target out in the sea. There's a, a number of important vectors right different yeah things that we're trying to to solve that all are in my opinion pretty challenging and pretty large cool i love it all right number four or sorry number five if you could hop into a delorean go back to the past and tell yourself one thing as you drive as you drive by out the driver's side window when would you go back and what would you tell yourself another really hard one um the messages start sooner. Yeah. Make the transition in your mind faster, right? Get get comfortable with this idea that you can control the outcome in your life and do it sooner. The time though is hard because if I didn't have the foundational exercise of doing poorly in college or sitting behind the desk answering phones or going through the exercises with Dido, wouldn't be here today, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting because if I had a, you know, crystal ball and I could see the future in high school, I might say, "Hey, start sooner." But I don't necessarily know when that would be because they needed all of the things to have happened. Yeah. To get me where I am. Yeah. Totally get it. That's why I like the question. Some people take it literally and they start thinking about how that would actually affect their future, you know, and then others are like, it's just a creative exercise. But what I, what I want to hear when I'm younger, it's, I always say that question and it's like an ink blot test for, I'm just curious how, like literally how people hear it and how they respond to it. Uh, it's super fun. Butterflies or space shuttles, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, well, Matt, this has been so fun, buddy. Thank you for opening up, sharing your wisdom. It is truly um, inspiring to see what you've built and how you've continued to thrive and grow and the company you're building. Uh, ma'am, thank you for taking your time to be on here today. It was an honor. I love it, Drew. It's been great. Thank you. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.